0: The following is a message from the pulpit of Parkside Baptist Church in Mesquite, Texas, led by Pastor Mike Wells. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll let you be seated. And it is my joy and delight to be back again at the Park City Baptist Church. I think the mayor had a good idea. <laughs> it's not the first time I'd thought of that. But uh, anyway, uh, one of the things that'll come out of this meeting is the church will have a new name. But, uh, <clears throat> but anyway, it's a delight to be here, and uh, thank the Lord for Brother Wells and for what the Lord is doing with him and with so many of you here at the church, whatever you decide to call it. It is a great place, and I'm grateful for it. And it's a delight to be here and to preach on the same platform with Brother Owens as well, and certainly a great, great message you gave us tonight, Amen. blessed my heart exceedingly. Now, uh, you may you may have already picked up on the fact that uh, in Middle Tennessee, where I live part of the time, everything is in bloom. Uh, even some of the people on the streets seem to be <laughs> But. Uh, Uh, Our city has literally thousands of Bradford pear trees. I mean, the streets are lined with them, people have them in their yards, and for, I think, for a month now, they have been in bloom, and everybody in our city is coughing and hacking and blowing and so on and so forth, and so my voice is not in real great shape. I don't think it's going to give out, but uh, if if you'll put up with me for a little bit, I mean, after all, I'm having to look at you, amen? So <clears throat> we'll just kind of tolerate one another here for a little bit, and I will, uh, <clears throat> as Dr. Malone used to say so often, I, I, um, I, I, I want to be brief. I never have been, but I'd like to be sometime, and maybe, maybe this will be the night for it. But anyway, great delight to be here. Take your Bible, please, and turn to Matthew chapter number 12, Matthew chapter number 12. I always look forward to coming to Texas, and uh, and I and I say that sincerely. I, I I like the Texas mentality. I'm talking about the stereotyped swagger that goes with Texas. Now, now, I don't mean that in any kind of a carnal way. I'm I'm just saying I like the fact that uh, uh, people who have grown up here in Texas. I mean, they maybe out west Texas or someplace. Uh, they, they are happy about being a Texan. They're not ashamed of being a Texan. They just stand up, tell you who they are. I like for Christians to be that way. I mean, we got people all over the place who are ducking and dodging the culture and acting like we got to apologize for who we are, you know, and bend and twist and turn. I mean, good night. Uh, as Christians, we ought to get some of that Texas swagger about us and just stand up and say who we are, love us or loathe us. That's who we are. And God bless you for coming tonight, it's good to see all of you. Matthew chapter 12, and I begin reading right at the top of the chapter. At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and His disciples were in hunger and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. Now, let me pause there a minute. There's some of you who did not grow up out in West Texas, but you grew up in town. And when I read that verse, you looked at that, and you said, that is one more weird verse. Well, let me, let me correct you, and not the Bible. Amen? The fact of the matter is, that's not a weird verse at all. I did not grow up in a town. I grew up in the country, western Kentucky. And, uh, and I can tell you, from having done some laboratory work when I was a boy, that uh, you can go out of the cornfield, pull an ear of corn off the stalk, Shuck it, silk it, and eat it on the spot. And if it's ripe corn, it's good. Real good. Now, nothing weird about it. But guess what? Verse 2 says, but when the Pharisees saw it. Now, fact is, all of the Pharisees didn't die in the first century. That bunch of birds a bunch of birds, they they saw Jesus and His disciples going through the cornfield eating corn on the Sabbath, and I mean, they're ready to pounce. Now, let me help you here just a little bit. Everybody who criticizes you is not a Pharisee. Sometimes your critics are really doing you a favor. So everybody that criticizes you is not a Pharisee, but every Pharisee is a critic. And we got them right here in verse number 2. And they look at Jesus, and they say, Your disciples are doing that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But He said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you, that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Now drop down in the chapter, please, to verse number 38. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. You know, we still got sign-seekers. We, we got folks now, I mean, they they are they are wasting themselves looking for some kind of a sign to try to figure out the day and the hour. Well, let me tell you what Jesus said to that crowd. He said, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. might be good to underline that. And there shall be no sign given it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights, by the way, that's not a day and a half. That's not Friday afternoon to Sunday morning. As Jesus was, uh, as Jonah was, three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Verse 42, The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, you noticed in the reading, verse number 6, I slowed down, I did again in verse 41 and verse 42. In verse number 6, Jesus said that in this place is one greater than the temple. Verse 41, He said, Behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Verse 42, He said, And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, let me uh, let me just briefly look at the three of those statements. When Jesus said, that in this place is one greater than the temple. He was talking to a Jewish crowd, and he was talking to them about something that was the most sacred place on the planet to them. The temple site there in Jerusalem uh, had been built as a uh, national worship center for the Jews. Um, uh, In the Old Testament, it's called the house of God, sometimes called the house of the Lord. But um, they had had a temple, Uh, King David had planned the first temple, King Solomon built it, and um, it got destroyed, and then a guy named Zerubbabel came along and built the second temple. And uh, in fact, just a short time after this incident here in Matthew chapter 12, uh, just a couple of years after that, um, another guy on the scene named Herod. Uh, enlarge the temple, and that second temple is typically called Herod's Temple. You say, why do they call it Herod's Temple and not Zerubbabel? Have you tried to spell Zerubbabel or pronounce it lately? (laughs) All right. So we we got the first temple, we got the second temple, and it is a fabulous, in both cases, absolutely fabulous place. I'm reading what the Bible says about it. My mind goes to some places like, uh, the, uh, the Biltmore in North Carolina, uh, the Hearst Castle in California, uh, the New Swanstein Castle in Germany, places that I've been, things that I've seen, and I look at all those great places and I say, man, that is absolutely a fabulous place, a fabulous house. But it seems to me, from what I read in the Bible, that none of those great places that we have now could hold a candle to the temple that was built there for the National Worship Center. Of, uh, of the nation of Israel. Now, Jesus is talking to a Jewish crowd and telling them that this place, which is mightily important to them, historically and religiously, this place called the temple that's a sacred or holy place, and Jesus said, but there's somebody here greater than the temple. And you say, why would He say that? Well, He's trying to get across to them that the place is not the priority. The place is not the priority. Fabulous place, but the place is only a tool. I love this building. I love fan-shaped buildings. I love buildings with a, with a second tier. I, I, I love buildings that have got a big full altar. I love buildings that have a great choir loft. I like what we have here. But I'm telling you, this building is only a tool. I mean, if it burns to the ground tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month, uh, we, I mean, we'll be, uh, uh, I mean, disappointed. We, we don't want it to happen. But if this building crumbles to the ground, I'm telling you, we still are going to move forward because the place, the tool that God has given us to work with is not the priority. The place is only temporary, but the God that we serve is the one that's eternal. Amen. This crowd, uh, Jesus said to them in verse 7, He said, hey, you guys have miscalculated all of this. You've miscalculated, and consequently you misunderstood some things, and you don't have figured out that the Lord is the Lord, even of the Sabbath day. And He made the point very, very strongly to them to get them to see that what we're looking for is not a shrine, but the Savior. And He who is the Savior towers above the temple. The second one of these statements has to do with one of their prophets. A little guy named Jonah, Now we know about Jonah because uh, there's a little four-chapter book in the Old Testament with his name on it, and we know the famous story. There was a city over across the way, city of Nineveh. The Jews, I mean every, every Jew on the planet hated every Ninevite on the planet, and the Ninevites had earned that hatred. They were evil, wicked. I mean, they had mistreated the Jews. They had been vile and vicious to the Jews on so many occasions, and the Jews hated them. But when God determined to go and do a work with the Ninevites, what did He do? He called a Jew. And the Jew that He called looked at the Lord, and He said, hey, not me. And He tried to hotfoot it and run from God. Well, you know the story. God had prepared the big fish. And uh, Jonah finds himself out there floundering around in the in the Mediterranean, and the fish swallows him up. And Jonah gets uh, kind of a self-paid vacation, three days and three nights in the Gastro International Hotel, <laughs> sleeping on a blubber bed. And you don't want to know what was for breakfast. Amen. But he finally kind of got himself right with God, kind of got himself sort of right, enough so that God pushed the button and the fish spit him up, and he headed off toward Nineveh. And at about that time, God said to him, he said, now you go over there and tell that bunch of Ninevites they've got 40 days and they're going to be overthrown. And I'm telling you, I, I can see it. All oh, Jonah heard that. He was smiling ear to ear. I'm going to go over and get them told, and I'll back off and watch God just zap them and tear them up. Well, he went over there, and he did the bidding, the preaching that God bid him to do. And much to his chagrin, guess what? The whole crowd, I mean, from the king down to paupers on the street, 120,000 of them got right with God. And Jonah, Jonah was off somewhere. I mean, I mean, I think, I think this is in the Hebrew text. He was sucking his thumb, I'm telling you. He was whining. I mean, he was, he, was, he was saying, Oh, dear God, I might as well die. You say, Why did he want to die? He, was, he knew he was going to go back home, and the rest of his Jewish buddies were going to say, You've been de- where and did what? Yeah. Yeah. But by the time we get here to Matthew chapter 12, all that has uh, kind of spun out, and uh, the Ninevites have demonstrated that they did get right with God, and there's a whole different scenario, and Jonah is a hero by now. And Jesus faced that same Jewish audience where he said, there's something here greater than the temple. And now then he said, and you've got some heroes like Jonah. And he said, there's one here greater than your prophet. Greater than your preachers. Absolutely greater than any one of them and Jonah in particular. Then there's one more illustration here in verse 42 when he says, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now Solomon was a king, and he was, he was a great king in many ways. In fact, if you read 1 Kings chapters 10 and 11, it tells a lot of the story, and it tells you very pointedly that there was no king on the earth in terms of riches or wisdom that uh, was any. Well, I mean, Solomon was greater than all of them. And yet the time came when Solomon did the unthinkable, and he began to mess around with some people that were not walking with God some uh, women many women that were idol worshipers and I mean you know the whole sordid mess and story and those women the Bible says turned the heart of Solomon who had served the Lord so well for so long and turned his heart away from God and he did not finish well now the kings of Israel were held in high esteem. I mean, Solomon, David, others, I mean, their names Their names are, I mean, it's like they're etched in the stone of the hearts of the people. But Jesus said that uh, there is one here greater, greater, greater than the king, greater than the preacher. And you say, well, why, how can he be greater than Solomon? Solomon had all of that... Wealth, but what he had was only accumulated wealth. Jesus is the maker of the wealth. Amen. Solomon reigned 40 years. Jesus will reign forever and ever. Amen. Solomon was an imperfect man. Jesus was a perfect one. Amen. And you say, well, if, uh, if he's greater than the temple and greater than the prophets and the preachers and greater than the kings and the rulers, uh, who, I- who is it? Well, I'll tell you who he is. He is the one who, at the age of 12, amidst the intellectuals and the scholars of his day said, I must be about my father's business. He's the one who spoke to a crippled man on a stretcher and said, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk, and the man got up and walked. He's the one who responded to the man with a withered hand and said, Stretch forth thy hand, and his hand was made whole immediately. He's the one who stood by the graveside of Lazarus and cried out and said, Lazarus, come forth. And after four days dead and in the grave, Lazarus came up alive. He is the one who opened blind eyes, unstopped deaf ears, raised the dead, fed hungry multitudes, and walked with ease on the troubled waters of a stormy sea. And I'll tell you what he does. Even to this day, he turns hatred into love and crime into virtue, and darkness into light, and drunkenness into sobriety, and immorality into morality. You say, well, if he's all of that, well, what, do, what do people think about him? Well, I'm uh, glad you raised the question, because I've heard people say, oh, never a man spoke as this man. I've heard others who said, we never saw it on this fashion. Others said about him, What manner of man is this? There were those who besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. One, upon being asked, And who do you say that I am? Said, O thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. God the Father out of heaven spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. The crowds around Jerusalem cried and they said, Hosanna to the highest, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Another in that uh, crowd said, Oh, this is Jesus the prophet. And Pilate, Pilate, cowardly Pilate, uh, but powerful Pilate, he, uh, after examination, said, "I, I find no fault in him. The centurion by the graveside said, Truly, this man was the son of god doubting thomas finally convinced cried and said oh my lord and my god the disciples after the resurrection said did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us in the way now i'm just telling you that's what some other people have said and let's see i i i think i heard the other question that you raised Oh, yes, yes, I got it. I got it. You want to know what my opinion is. I've told you about some others, but you want to know what my opinion is? Well, I'm so glad you asked because I wanted to tell you and I I thought of this in advance and I I took pen in hand and tried to write something and I I have to confess to you what I'm about to tell you. I, I borrowed it from somebody else. If you say to me, what is your opinion about him? I'm going to tell you that He's wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You say wonderful? Absolutely, He is full of wonders. Absolutely the miracle-working God that uh, we all need to have acquaintance with. Not only that, but that passage in Isaiah says that He is counselor. No burden, no heartache. No problem, no difficulty, no crisis in your life is beyond the pale, is beyond what he is able to do in counseling and giving you guidance and governance that will enable you to walk through whatever valley comes in your life. Yes, he's wonderful, he's counselor, he's the mighty God. The mighty God of creation, the mighty God of redemption, the mighty God who is the coming king. He's the everlasting father because of him we are made to be the sons and daughters of God and given new life. It's not rehabilitation and reformation that he gives, but full-scale regeneration with life that we never could have had before. Amen. Everlasting Father and yes, Prince of Peace. Because when he, who is wonderful counselor, mighty God and everlasting Father, lives within us, all of these old all of these old facades of hatred and hostility are broken down. All of the racial strife, all of the ethnic uh, ethnic strife, all of the national uh, things, I mean mean, every bit of that, every bit of that will be broken in shreds simply because He is the Prince of Peace. So yes, He's wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The Bible also says, He's Salem's bright king, the song of the ages, the lily of the valley, the bright and the morning star, the altogether lovely one. And I'm glad to tell you, because when I was but a lad of a boy growing up, growing up in those river bottoms in western Kentucky, where the three big rivers, the Ohio, the Mississippi, and the Tennessee rivers bleed together. There in those river bottoms, the farm uh, my daddy had was at the end of a dirt road. A dirt road, except in winter it was a mud road. The last farm on the road, at the end of the road. But somebody came down that road on a Saturday, talking about Jesus and talking about heaven. And it was on that Saturday morning in September, I, I had heard about Jesus, but I never heard the gospel. But I got it explained to me that morning, and I literally got on my knees and received the Savior. And that day, He became my Savior. Day by day by day, I have worked to make Him my Lord as well. Now, you say uh, that that is who He is to you. That is who He is to me. He's my Savior, and He is my Lord. Greater than the temple, greater than the prophets greater than the kings, the rulers, the presidents, the prime ministers, greater than all of that. And I have to ask you now, the opinions of others, I gave you some. I told you my opinion. My question is, what is your opinion? Now, you've already voted a little bit on that just by being here tonight. There's other places in town where you could have been. But you came tonight, and I think that that votes a little bit. But you know, every time, every, every, just about all that we do, every response that we make to the appeal that God makes to us, uh, we're, we're voting what we think about Him. Right. What we do on Sunday tells us, I mean, it's another vote about what we think about Him. Right. Our response to what we read in the Bible, that, I mean, we're voting whether we do it or not. You know, we, we vote with our pocketbook. I mean, we, we, we vote in a lot of ways in what we think about this age. The great passages that I've read here tonight tell us greater than all of the mighty edifices, greater than the great cathedral in London, greater than the one that burned in Paris, greater than all of those things, towers above all of those mighty structures, greater than Isaiah, greater than Jeremiah, greater than Moses, greater than all of the men of the past, great though they may have been, greater than all of that. And the Queen of Sheba said, when she came to make her visit to Solomon, she said, oh, I'd heard a lot, but the half has not been told. Now, Brother Owens and I did not collaborate on what we were doing tonight. But while he was preaching, I sat there smiling from ear to ear knowing what what I was going to do when I got up. And I said, my, oh, my. He told us in such a powerful way I've not been disappointed in Him. And what I'm saying to you tonight is, you know, we, we have our, our uh, heroes of sorts. I was mentioning earlier tonight in a private conversation, I, 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 I do like baseball, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty nutty about baseball, but that's nothing compared to Him. I'm a a student of politics and student of history, and I could talk to you about a lot of those things off the top of my head and, and have a big time doing it. But in comparison to him, there's not a figure in all of history that even begins to compare. He is greater because of his eternality, from eternity's past, no beginning, eternity's future, no ending. He's the God of the past, God of the present, God of the future, because of His eternality, because of His preeminence, because He is the omnipotent, totally all-powerful God, because of His omniscience, He knows everything, because of His omnipresence, like Jonah found out you can't run from God. When you get where you're running to, you'll find He's already there. Greater because of His perfection. All of us flawed, imperfect sinners we are, but He, every step of the way, every thought, every action, perfect, totally in line with all of the mandates of heaven, greater because of His redemption. Finding broken men and women, finding people with every kind of a problem in the world, and with baggage that they can hardly drag from one minute to the next and yet He picks them up, rescues them, makes something out of them that they never could imagine that they would become. Greater because of His mighty blessings which He gives to all of us day by day. Betty and I had a little conversation last night when we got home from church. I was in town, home for the weekend. We just had a little conversation. It just kind of broke, broke out. I didn't plan it, she didn't plan it. We just got to talking about how good God had been to us. Well, I mean, after we got to the house, I, I know a, a good 30 minutes. I was sitting in my recliner, she was sitting in her recliner. We didn't have the television on. We, we were just sitting there looking at one another, and we'd laugh a little bit and tell one another this and remind one another that. I mean, this was just last night. Rejoicing in the good things of God, you see, because somewhere along the way, we latched onto the fact that there is somebody who's greater than the temple, greater than the prophets and greater than the rulers. And Not only is he greater, but he pays the kind of attention to every one of us where that day by day he hears our faintest cry. We can whisper a prayer and it's heard at the throne of heaven. Every provision, every wonderful thing, every, every blessing that he gives is because he is wonderful, Amen. counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm telling you, he towers above the temple, towers above the uh, prophets and the preachers, all of us. He towers above the rulers, whether it be mayor or senator or president or king, he towers above them all. By the way, because he is so great, we'll never, ever be disappointed in him. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for joining us today. For more audio or video content, you can visit our website at parksidebaptist.org.